Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayholt LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, I'm Catherine Thornton, an articling student at Glayholt LLP, and I'm here with Brendan Bowles, a partner at Glayholt LLP. Thank you, Catherine. Our topic for this podcast will be the Construction Lien Act, and it became the Construction Act on July 1st, 2018. We're also going to talk about uh, Bill 57, which is the Restoring Trust, Transparency, and Accountability Act 2018, which received royal assent by the Ontario government on December 6, 2018. The bill was passed very quickly, and went from first reading to royal assent in less than a month. Uh, and it, in my view, it was um, uh, a very proactive step by the Ontario government in response to some feedback they'd received from stakeholders in respect of the July 1, 2018 introduction of the Construction Act. So those two uh, new legislations in 2018 together bring many changes, and it's therefore an exciting time in the world of construction law. There are a lot of changes to get used to, uh, and we are going to use our time on this podcast to explain most of those changes, and in particular, uh, how they impact liens. We'll be explaining the changes that have occurred by operation of the new Construction Act in Bill 57 together. Thanks, Brendan. I'm first going to cover what's called the transition period. The transition period is extremely important to understand because it will tell you which act you're operating under, either the former Construction Lien Act or the new Construction Act. Lien procedure and deadlines vary between the two acts, so it's very important to get it right. Section 87.3 sub 1 of the Construction Act governs this transition. It states that the former Construction Lien Act continues to apply where, one, a contract for the improvement was entered into before July 1st, 2018, regardless of when any subcontract was entered into, two, a procurement process for the improvement was commenced before July 1st, 2018 by the owner, And just a note, um, the procurement process is now defined as a request for qualifications, a request for quotation, a request for proposals, or a call for tenders. And three, for properties subject to a leasehold interest, if the lease was entered into before July 1st, 2018, and the contract for the improvement was entered into between July 1st, 2018 and December 6th, 2018, which is the day Bill 57 became law. What this does is introduce an end date for when improvements subject to a leasehold interest will be governed by the Construction Lien Act. The bottom line is that any contracts or procurement processes entered into after December 6th, 2018, again, the day Bill 57 became law, they will be subject to the new Construction Act, even if the lease was entered into before July 1st, 2018. And again, this is all regardless of when any subcontract was entered into. Thank you, Catherine. So to to go back to something I said earlier, obviously the Ontario government did listen to what the stakeholders were saying on two of those topics in particular. 
One was uh, the issue with leases. There was a, an odd uh, po- possibility that under the way the Construction Act transition provisions were originally drafted, if you had a lease for up to 75 or 100 years uh, entered into before July 1st, 2018, or maybe to be less extreme, let's say 20 years, but it was entered into at some point before July 1st, 2018, the Construction Lien Act would continue to apply, which would stretch out the uh, transition provisions for leasehold construction projects to a very, very great degree. And I, and, and I don't think that was intended. And obviously, uh, that, that's now been corrected. So, uh, we, we won't have to keep around copies of the Construction Lean Act for the next, uh, uh, 50 years or so, which is good news. Uh, also with respect to procurement by defining four specific instances of what constitutes a procurement, it's clarified that issue, which is going to be helpful to interpreting the transition provisions going forward. And I think also a byproduct of that will be that for situations, for example, let's say a home renovation project where there is no such formal procurement document that somebody could look to. If the contract was entered into after July 1st, 2018, whether that contract was verbal or in writing, the new construction act will apply to that work right now. So very important, interesting developments in in my opinion. Uh, Now, keeping on the theme of transition One exception to the transition provisions that Catherine just outlined for you is with respect to liens uh, arising on properties owned by municipalities. Starting next fall, on October 1, 2019, liens will no longer attach to the municipality's interest in the premises, regardless of the date of the contract or procurement process. That's in Section 16, Sub 1. In other words, if construction work is done for a city, the liens uh, after October 1st, 2019 uh, on that job, regardless of the date of the contract, will have to be given to the clerk of the municipality and will no longer be registered on title. Bill 57 um, is silent on the timelines for giving liens to municipalities. So in the interim, presumably the deadlines of the Construction Lien Act still apply. That's a constant theme in our presentation. When in doubt, stand by the old CLA deadlines. Under the former Construction Lien Act, lien claimants who perform work on premises owned by municipalities which are not public highways uh, must register their liens on title. It's been the case for a long time now that if the work is done on a municipal street, for example, that you give the lien to the clerk of the municipality. That's now going to be the case for all work done on municipal projects starting on October 1, 2019. You don't register, you give to the clerk of the municipality. Uh, Similar to the way a lien is preserved on land owned by the Ontario government, the the Crown. Now, another big change, which um, I'm going to say one more time, Don't get too excited by it yet because our advice is still to follow the shorter timelines provided for under the Construction Lean Act. Um, I think one of the masters joked at our recent Ontario Bar Association evening with the masters that you might want to get a tattoo on your forearm saying 45 days forever. 
that's certainly a nice cautious bit of advice that we we would echo at least for now because transition provisions are gradual stick with the 45 and 45 but you will now have 60 and 90 uh once the contract is actually under the construction act so let me explain how that's going to work under section 31 sub 2 a contractor's lien which means in this context somebody who has a direct contract with the owner um, will have 60 days to preserve uh, so that's extended from the 40 former 45 days and it's triggered by the earliest of the date of publication of a certificate of substantial performance and the date the contract is completed, abandoned, or terminated to preserve its lien. Section 31 sub 3 deals with the expiration of liens of other persons. So that means somebody who does not have a contract uh, directly with the owner, a subcontractor, for example, um, they will have 60 days, again, as opposed to the former 45, to preserve their lien from the earliest of, uh, one, the date of the publication of a certificate of substantial performance, two, the date of last supply of services or materials to the improvement, three, the date the contract is completed, abandoned, or terminated, and four, the date a subcontract is certified complete under Section 33. So what's next after that? It's to perfect the lien. That falls under Section 36 sub 2. So lien claimants will now have, under the Construction Act, 90 days as opposed to 45 from the um, end of the time period where they were required to preserve their lien in order to perfect their lien. So you can think of it this way. Under the Construction Lien Act, you have a 90-day window. 45 days to preserve, 45 days to perfect. Under the Construction Act, you have a 150-day window. 60 days to preserve, 90 days to perfect. Lien claimants still have to set their action down for trial within two years or get an order for trial. There's two ways to do it. One of the two has to happen within two years of starting the action to perfect the lien. So that actually hasn't changed. That's been kept the same. And those are the absolute can't miss them deadlines uh, that everyone who is familiar with the Construction Lien Act and now the Construction Act will will know, I think. The big change with the note of caution, when in doubt, follow the shorter time periods, is the extension uh, to 60 and 90 days, respectively, to preserve and perfect. The actual triggering of those uh, timelines will be familiar to you because they've basically been... Uh, preserved. However, a new triggering event was added in the Construction Act. That's the termination of the contract. Uh, actually, formally, there was a case law that would interpret a termination of a contract as being consistent with abandonment, which would trigger lien rights, but it was not expressed under the Act. So that gap has been filled. And if you terminate a contract now, that will be a definitive bright line to trigger lien rights uh, that would arise under that contract. So, um, and how is that, in, uh, how is that 
known? Well, under the new Section 31, sub 6 of the Act, an owner, contractor, or other person whose lien is subject to expiry uh, must publish a known um, a notice of termination as prescribed by the regulations. Uh, the notice is to be published in a construction trade newspaper. For practical purposes, means the daily commercial news, the same publication that uh, publishes certificates of substantial performance. Um, uh, and it's a new uh, notice requirement that should be a benefit to parties where this occurs, uh, particularly they may not be privy to exactly what's happening between the contractor and owner. They'll be aware of the, the termination as a, as a result. So, um, I think just to, to summarize quickly, the uh, extension of time period 45 days to 60 days to preserve, 45 days to 90 days to perfect, will ultimately um, prove to be uh, a benefit because uh, historically, actually, Ontario had the, the shortest preservation and perfection periods in, in North America. Uh, and we know that because uh, Duncan Glayholt has taught at the University of Toronto Law School for a number of years. Remember, a student uh, in his class had uh, published a very interesting paper which surveyed all Canadian provinces and territories in all 50 U.S. states. And it was amazing that Ontario did, in fact, have the shortest time period to both preserve and perfect in, in North America. So uh, as a matter of fairness, that's been extended. But um, I'm going to turn it over to Catherine at this point to give you, a, a, I think, a note of caution you should uh, pay attention to. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, that word of caution for preservation and perfection of liens is when you're not sure if the lien action falls under the new Construction Act or under the former Construction Lien Act, you should be overly cautious and comply with the stricter timeline, which is in the Construction Lien Act, 45 days and 45 days. Missing the deadline to preserve or perfect a lien is extremely serious. Lien rights are lost forever. Counsel for the lien claimant can be liable for damages flowing from failing to preserve or perfect lien rights. Moving on to Certificates of Substantial Performance, or CSPs. Under the new Act, CSPs must contain a legal description of the property, including all pins and addresses. If the lien does not attach the premises, the name and address of the person or body to whom a claim for lien must be given must be included. As for exaggerated liens... Under the new Construction Act, a person is liable if they knew or ought to have known that the lien amount is willfully exaggerated. Under the Construction Lien Act, a person is liable if he or she knows or ought to have known that the lien is grossly in excess of the amount owed. This is an interesting distinction between grossly in excess in the Construction Lien Act and willfully exaggerated under the new Construction Act. At a recent OBA event, Dinner with the Masters, Master McGraw indicated that his interpretation of this difference is that the Construction Act poses a new higher standard. Now I'm going to transition to talk about another type of project that's going to be affected by the new act, and that's condominiums. 
And for the most part, the changes to the legislation we've discussed have been ones that we would view in a positive light. And we think that ultimately will represent improvements going forward. With respect to condominiums, unfortunately, uh, I at least respectfully don't think that's the case. And there are difficulties, uh, three big difficulties, I think, at least in the perspective of lien claimants who had performed work on these types of projects going forward that, that lead me to that conclusion. Uh, just to quickly summarize why I say that the three uh, are as follows. One is that the new act does not take up one of the key recommendations uh, for improvement in uh, in this area that would have removed a, a significant cost barrier to lien claimants. Secondly, the uh, notice uh, of intention to register a condominium uh, has been weakened uh, in terms of giving fair notice to those people uh, of a way to, to mitigate against those cost barriers. And then thirdly, a, a new notice requirement has now been imposed on someone who wishes to uh, assert such a lien. So the the issue of costs being a disproportionate barrier uh, to exercising this remedy really does exist in this area. Let me let me explain why now. Uh, this has to do, for the most part, with work that's done uh, on the common elements of a condominium. In other words, the aspects of the condominium that are owned by everyone who has an ownership interest in that, that condominium building. So, for example, if work is done uh, on a swimming pool uh, or something like that that's used and owned by everyone in the condominium, in order to register a lien against that common element's interest, you do have to actually encumber the interest of everyone who has such an ownership interest. Otherwise, arguably, the lien is, is completely ineffective. Uh, in the uh, old days, if I can put it that way, if we go back to uh, prior to the introduction of electronic registration in the 1990s, the land registry system had a, a, a book, a common elements register, where such liens could be registered. And that effectively um, re- removed the, uh, the the problem of, of having to register a paper lien against every single uh, unit owner. Now, when electronic registration was introduced, there was no uh, electronic version of the common elements register. And therefore, to, uh, to properly preserve the lien, prohibitively expensive uh, searches and actual registrations against each affected PIN, in some cases that would number in the thousands, uh, was required. And this was a pretty well-known problem that uh, was discussed for years. There was a, a well-known article by Roger Gillett, uh, published in the 1990s, that talked about this. But it was kind of an ongoing issue that never got resolved. It did seem to be, to me at least, a logical uh, suggestion for improvement that uh, Bruce Reynolds and Sharon Vogel made in their expert report, which was to introduce a single pin. However, that that did not occur. So from a legal perspective, to uh, properly preserve a lien against the common elements, you still have to search uh, and uh, register against each pin, identify each individual owner, 
can be very prohibitively expensive and, and in often cases um, a barrier to even pursuing a, a lien at all. So um, using a different example for a second, uh, not in an existing building where work is done on a swimming pool or something like that, but for the construction of the actual building itself in the first place, there had been a relatively recent improvement whereby uh, Form 11, Notice of Intention to Register a Condominium, was introduced into the Act, uh, specifically in, in response to some of the problems that Roger identified in his article those years ago, which required the uh, owner to give advance notice in the daily commercial news that the uh, registration of the condominium was going to occur. A single or a couple of pins would now be split into many, many, many pins, so if you're going to register a lien, you're on fair notice that this is about to happen. So uh, that form is now is, is silent as to the manner and timing for publication of the notice. And the new Construction Act deletes the manner and timing for publication of a notice of intention to register a, a condominium. So ar- arguably that, that requirement now is effectively... Uh, removed, uh, in my view. So the, an important mitigation measure against that prohibitive cost problem is, has been removed. On top of that, a new requirement to give affirmative notice, uh, of a lien has been introduced. Now, uh, I should pause here for a second to observe that, of course, legislation is and should not be drafted, uh, for the benefit of just, you know, one party to these types of transactions. One of the problems, of course, with not having a common elements register is that the unit owners themselves could be caught by surprise by a lien that they had no control or direct involvement in. Um, if, if a lien claimant decide, you know what, I am actually going to incur all the cost of preserving a lien. I'm going to do it and register against every single pin. You might have a situation, for example, where Somebody is um, selling their condominium unit on a Monday, and then on Friday afternoon, their lawyer discovers that a lien has been registered against their unit, much to their surprise. So there there seemed to be a lot of unfairness to everybody associated with not having a common elements register. Uh, The notice to preserve the lien uh, that's been introduced does seem to, at least if you're looking at this from the perspective of the uh, condominium unit owners, mitigate against that unfairness. So what I mean by that is according to the new Construction Act, when preserving a lien that relates to the common elements of a corporation, notice must be given to the condominium corporation and the owners. And uh, that is under Section 34 sub 9. So that also would apply, by the way, for uh, uh, condominiums that are not common elements. In that case, you would give the notice to the uh, owner of the unit. Um, where it is common elements, uh, the notice is given to the owner of a parcel of land to which the common interest is attached and which is described in the Declaration of the Corporation. Uh, form 13 is the required form for that notice. So it's an interesting development in this new, as I said, the this requirement to give notice of preservation of lien did not exist under the Construction Lien Act. However, under the new act, uh, the timing of this notice, when the lien claimant is required to give it, is not clear. Uh, nor does it appear that there's any penalty or consequence for failing to give notice of a preserved lien. So 
it, it does appear that, uh, at the risk of, uh, being too harsh in my comments here, that we kind of have the worst of all possible worlds now with condominiums because there are significant barriers that remain to, uh, exercising your lien remedy that have arguably been made worse. And in terms of protecting the, the unit owners, um, if there's no real consequences to not giving the notice, then query whether or not the unit owners themselves are really protected. So it just seems that uh, this is an area I've spent a lot of time on it because I think it is an area that the government should look at again. Uh, they did a good job of listening to stakeholders in terms of the lease issue, in terms of the procurement issue, Section 57, defi- uh, sorry, Bill 57 definitely uh, reflects that. So, uh, this is another area where we'd recommend the government to to take a, a good look at as well, because it just seems that it's fraught with problems. Thanks, Brendan. Just a quick word on adjudication. On October 1st, 2019, so next fall, the adjudication sections of the Act will come into force. These sections will affect leaning, particularly Section 34, Sub 10. If the subject of a subsisting lien is also the subject of an adjudication, the lien is deemed to have expired on the later of the date which it would have expired under Section 31, which is what Brendan outlined earlier, or 45 days after the adjudicator receives documents under Section 13.11. Section 13.11 requires a party who gave notice of adjudication to provide the adjudicator with documents that it will rely on no later than five days after the parties agreed to an adjudicator or an adjudicator is appointed. So what this essentially means is when a party refers a matter to adjudication, its lien expires 45 days after the party sends a copy of the contract or subcontract to the adjudicator, along with the documents it intends to rely on. Well, thank you, Catherine. So just just to wrap up, uh, one more time, I think it bears repeating, forgive me, but when in doubt, because the transition provisions are gradual, we think the best advice is to comply with the shorter timelines uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, because we, we do see that as an area where potentially um, errors could be made that could unfortunately be fatal to lien rights, and uh, it's always better to be safe than, than sorry. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, especially considering that there's going to be some uncertainty, I think, um, until we're well past October 1st, 2019 with municipalities, um, or indeed any type of project where you may have some doubt, do I register or do I give this lead? Uh, do both. That's advice that we've always given long before the Construction Act was introduced, and, and that very much remains the case. When in doubt, do do both, because you can always um, undo that. Um, you can always uh, vacate without security, for example, but what you can't do is revive an expired lien. So the, I guess the best advice we can give you now is then go away, read the Act, read Bill 57, read all the new materials that are coming out all the time on this. We are too, and we look forward to working with you on these problems in the future. 
Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.